Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God does miracles today still. God chooses which miracles He will do. And for some people, He doesn't do miracles, and for some people, He does. God heals today. God chooses whom He will heal. We are to end all of our prayers. Jesus taught us, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Can Jesus do that which you've been praying for and pleading for Him to do? Sometimes we might ask and keep asking all the while, doubting that God can really do what we're asking for. So many who had known Jesus growing up in His own hometown doubted that He could really perform miracles and do great things. Why? Because they were so familiar with Him they didn't believe he could possibly be a miracle worker. With more on praying in all faith and believing Jesus really is who he says he is, here's more from our study in Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6 with Robert Furrow. He healed a man who was born blind. And the disciples said something strange. They said, who, was, who sinned that this man would be born blind? Him or his parents? Well, how could that guy sin in the womb? They thought there was something flawed about him. It's this idea or concept that if you have some, some sickness or illness or blindness or whatever it would be, that it's because there's sin in your life. That's still taught today. It's such a heresy. Jesus said neither. His parents didn't sin and he didn't sin. But it is for the glory of God that this man was born blind. You might say, what a mean thing. Can't God get his glory in some other way? Well, that man was eventually questioned about Jesus. And it's a really funny encounter when you, when you read it. They said, who is this guy? We, we've never seen him do anything. We don't know of this guy. And the blind guy says, it's funny. You guys have never heard of him or seen him. You don't know anything about him. But yet he's opened up my eyes and I see. And they kicked him out of the temple. They excommunicated him. Which was very serious in Israel. And Jesus went and found that man. And said to him, I am the son of God. Jesus very rarely ever used that term, I am the son of God. He most, and we talked about it often. He mostly uses, I am the son of man. The son of man, you will see the son of man do this. But he says, I am the son of God to that man who was born blind. That was a clear, when you understand Psalms 2, you understand he is clearly saying to him that I am the Messiah. So yes, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He has fulfilled those that I've mentioned and I would run out of time if I tried to cover every single passage in the Old Testament that speaks of him being the Messiah. So Jesus begins his ministry in the Galilee. He goes from village to village. And in the area of the Galilee, Josephus tells us that there's about a million people living there in the region of the Galilee. That's about how many people we have in the, the metropolitan area of Tucson. That's a lot of people. They were in all these different villages, some of them bigger like Capernaum. Some of them smaller, like Cana. And Nazareth was on the outskirts of Galilee. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, not really Galilee. It's not technically considered to be Galilee. It's on the edge of it. Jesus had grown up there. So he's in the Galilee, and he's in Capernaum, and he's healing Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, and he's raising Jairus, a ruler's daughter, from the dead, and he's healing the servant of a centurion who comes to him and says, you don't need to come to my house to say the word. He's doing all of these miracles, and news of him is going everywhere, and he's growing in fame. And he leaves the Galilee, and he goes to Nazareth, to his hometown. 
We pick it up in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he was brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He begins to read about himself being the anointed one to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel, uh, excuse me, the poor are a much better audience for the gospel than the rich. It's hard for a rich man to get saved. Jesus said it's hard for a camel to go through an eye of a needle for a rich man to be saved. But with God, nothing's impossible, he went on to say. It happens. But the poor are much more receptive. They know their needs. And the church should never forget that the gospel is to be preached to the poor. It is a receptive audience for the gospel. And Jesus came to the poor. And when we minister to them, it is incredibly fruitful. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I love the first time we find the mention of the brokenhearted in the in the world, it's from the Bible. It's from the book of Isaiah and not a country song. Because there's a lot of country songs about the brokenhearted. See, you may be here today and you may be brokenhearted. Maybe because, you know, maybe it's somebody dumped you. <laughs> you're brokenhearted. I laugh about it because we've all been there, right? But you're right now, you're like, don't laugh. It hurts. God knows. Maybe you've been separated from someone you love and you're, you're brokenhearted about it. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that's just broken your heart. And God's close to those who are brokenhearted. And he sent Jesus to heal them. Both of those passages are true. God says, a bruised reed I will not break. A bruised, you know, you see reeds by the edge of a, a lake and one of them's bent over. That's a bruised reed. God says, I won't break it. God's tender with those who are broken. And if you're broken here tonight, if you're brokenhearted, then God's close to you and he's here to heal you. To proclaim liberty to the captives. There are many slaves in the world in the days of Jesus. And he came to proclaim liberty to them, that they could be set free by having Jesus as their savior. And the recovery of sight to the blind. This is that the Messiah would do signs and wonders and miracles, even giving sight to the blind as a sign of him and his Messiahship. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To set free people who are oppressed by other people or oppressed by demonic spirits. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that you can accept the Lord. This is quite a passage for him to read. It's a messianic passage about what kind of ministry the Messiah will have. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. When they would teach, Jesus is a, is a rabbi, he's called a rabbi. By the way, not just anybody could be a rabbi. There were certain qualifications that had to be met and Jesus met them. They called him rabbi and he's here and he's teaching and, and they would sit down. They would read and then they would sit down and they would teach. And so every eye is fixed on him and he begins now to speak to them. And he says something that's so absolutely amazing. He says, today, verse 24, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is, he set a spirit upon me and has anointed me 
to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to set free the captives, to set free the oppressed, and give the acceptable year of the Lord. He's telling them, I am the Messiah. Today, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. So, so all bore witness of him and marveled at his gracious words. There were no teachers like Jesus in their day. I'm sure that, I'm sure that as a Christian, and hopefully if your whole time as being a Christian here is at Calvary Chapel, that you haven't heard your share of bad sermons. I know sometimes I leave and I think, you know, I don't think that was a particularly good sermon. I don't think that was a good message. But I've, I've heard my share of bad sermons. And I'm sure they heard their share of bad explanations of the scriptures in the synagogues. But they marveled at Jesus, at his graciousness, at, the, at his gracious words, at the things that he said, had said. And um, they bore witness to him and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Don't we know this guy? See, Jesus had, had been born. Mary had the angel come to her in Bethlehem, excuse me, in Nazareth. Then Joseph took her to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Then he was warned in a dream because Herod wanted to kill him to go to Egypt. So he went to Egypt for a few years. And then as a child, we know by the time he was 12, he was back in Jerusalem and back in Nazareth. They came and they settled back in Nazareth. And he was brought up there and they knew him. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in our country. And he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Boy, if you know what Jesus is saying here, he's saying there were a lot of widows in Israel during the days of Elijah, Elisha, but he was sent to none of them except to a widow in Sidon. Sidon is not Israel. Sidon is the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus went to the region, this region during his ministry, and a woman met him who was a woman from Tyre. And she said, heal my daughter. And Jesus said, we're not going to take what, the, what is for the children and give it to the dogs. And she says, but even the dogs eat crumbs off the, the children's table. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel because she's from, from Tyre. So Jesus says to them, a Gentile was ministered to by Elisha. Not any of the widows in Israel, but a Gentile. Then he gives them another example. He says, and many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. It's another Gentile. This is a Syrian, even an enemy. No one in Israel was healed during his days, but a Syrian. So all of those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They thought they were better. They thought they were privileged because they were Jews. They didn't realize that Jesus came to the Gentiles, and he's trying to make that point. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill, which is there on the city, was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff then passing through them in the midst of them, he went his way. It's a miracle. He just wouldn't let him do it. It wasn't time. It wasn't time for him to die. So he passes through them. Now go to Mark 6. I want to read verses 1 through 5. This is either another account with less detail. It's either the same account with less detail or it's a different account. Another time that Jesus went to, to Nazareth. But we learn a couple things from it. It's short. In uh, 
verse 1 of Mark chapter 6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach them in the synagogue, and many heard him and were amazed. What we just read, a little more detail. But where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Jesus had worked on their houses. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Mary was there still in Nazareth that, that day. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, four of his brothers. By the way, the James, who writes the book of James and becomes the pastor of Jerusalem, is the half-brother of Jesus. This James is mentioned here. He doesn't believe at this point. But the Bible says that Jesus appears to James after the resurrection. I, I assume at some point James began to believe. Maybe it was that appearance after the resurrection that James was like, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? You guys have brothers? You have a brother who's more athletic than you are or, or, or better academically than you? I won't say smarter than you, but better than you at school. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? I wonder if Mary ever said, can't you be more like Jesus? Probably. Not only that, there were, there were sisters. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And aren't there sisters with us here? And they took offense of him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. But he could, note the word could, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. All the great miracles that he did in Capernaum and in other cities in the Galilee, he could not do there. Why? Well, it's, we're told it because they did not believe. They did not believe in him. They didn't believe that he could do it. So they didn't ask him. They didn't approach him. Had they believed, they would have said, let's get all of our sick. Let's get all of our people. Let's get everyone that has a problem and let's bring them to Jesus like was happening in other regions. But because of their familiarity with Jesus, they did not do that. And so Jesus didn't heal many. God does miracles today still. God chooses which miracles he will do. And for some people, he doesn't do miracles. And for some people, he does. God heals today. God chooses whom he will heal. We are to end all of our prayers. Jesus taught us, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And God wills that some would be healed and God wills that some would go into the presence of God. And if I become sick, you know, chronically ill, I will pray that God will heal me. And I believe that God can do it. But I will pray your will be done. And if my appointment and my time here on earth is done, I will gladly go into the presence of the Lord. But I believe that God does work today. But I talk to Christians all the time and maybe you have too who don't believe that God does miracles today. They don't believe that God answers prayers today, which amazes me, but they don't. They believe that those miracles were for the first century and that God doesn't do them today. There's even one very respected theologian who said prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes you. I agree with the second part of that. I believe that when you are a man or a woman of prayer, I believe that prayer changes you. You get into communion with God. God works with you. You grow spiritually and prayer changes you. But I could not disagree with the first part of that more. Prayer changes things. And to say that it doesn't is to be anti-biblical and maybe even demonic. 
It is the whispers of Satan to the saints. Don't pray for that. God doesn't heal. God doesn't answer those kind of prayers. When the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. And from now on, there will be nothing that will be impossible for God. And you don't receive when you ask because you ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong stuff. That you might spend it on your own pleasures. You haven't gotten too in tune with God. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, according to my will, it will be done for you. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Prayer changes things. Isaiah marched into King Hezekiah's sickbed and told him, God told me you're going to die of this sickness. Isaiah walked out into the courtyard and Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, the Bible says, and began to cry to God. And God stopped Isaiah in the courtyard and said, go back and tell him I'm going to grant him more years. I've shared this story with you before and I told you I don't know what to do with it theologically. Because God says, thus says the Lord, you're going to die of this illness. Thus says the Lord, I'm going to give you more time. But what I do know, although I don't know what to do with that, I do know that Hezekiah's prayer changed his destiny. It changed it. Might have been what God wanted in the first place, but God wanted him to be a part of it. And, and prayer changes destiny. And the question is, do you believe it? Have you prayed for the struggles you're going through? Have you prayed for the struggles your kids are going through? Have you prayed and asked God to help you with an illness, with a problem, with a struggle, with a difficulty? Because God's there to answer those prayers. If you don't, then you're just like Nazareth. They just didn't ask him. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to pray for people, like they brought a blind man to him, and Jesus is like, I want to heal you. Did blindness leave him. Oh, I, can't, I don't know. I can't heal you. I guess you don't believe enough. That's the faith movement that does that. They say, I can't heal you because you don't have enough faith. Jesus healed every person he prayed for. Anybody who came to him and asked him and he healed them, he healed them because they had faith. They didn't come to him. They didn't bring their blind. They didn't bring the lepers. They didn't bring those who were struggling in Nazareth. And that's why he couldn't do it. What a great lesson for us to, to ask God, to go to him in faith, to have an expectancy that God is going to move. I'm almost right on time, by the way. I'm only a little bit late. So in a form of application, I would end with a couple of thoughts. First of all, we've accepted and received the Messiah. Proved out by Jesus fulfilling all of the Old Testament aspects of what the Messiah would be. We were given that roadmap foretold and Jesus lived them. And I love that Matthew starts off that way. That when you say, I'm going to begin to read the Bible and you start with Matthew, that you begin to read about the genealogy of Matthew and then you read, and this was done as, as the Bible said, and this happened as it was written, and this happened as it was written, as this happened as it was written. I'll never forget the first time that I ever sat down to read Matthew on my own. I was a teenager. And I sat down to read Matthew on my own and being struck with as it was written, as it was written, as it was written, as it was written. That these are fulfillments of these things. And you have the anointed one who has saved you, who has moved into your life, who, who is your savior. And we need to have faith, unlike the, the people of Nazareth. They knew him. They just didn't believe he could do anything. Even though they had heard that he had done other things, he could not do any great miracle there. And for sure, there will be no great miracle done in your life if you don't have faith. If you don't believe, if you don't have an expectation, if you don't ask him, there won't be anything great done. But I believe you will have God move in your life if you will call out to him because you don't have 
because you don't ask. And the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this passage and for this appointment that Jesus kept with the people of the city that he grew up in, returning back home again and having them not being able to receive him as the anointed one that he presented himself, himself to them. This is fulfilled in your hearing. And Lord, I pray that we are not so familiar with Jesus that we forget that he is the miracle worker, that he is the God that said that he would do these things for us, that he told us that if we asked anything in his name, according to his will, he would do it. And so, Lord, help us to ask and to see you do these great things. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed. For just a couple of minutes, I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. I promise this won't take long. But I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior. You have to be deliberate about it. You can't grow up in church and just become a Christian. You've got to have some point where there's a point of faith. It might not always look the same between everybody, but there has to come some point when you say, I want Jesus in my life. And you've got to ask him. You've got to receive him. You've got to invite him in. The thief on the cross did it by saying, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Many people do it by calling out upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, call out on the name of the Lord and he will save you. Maybe it's as simple as you tonight saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, come into my life and help me. You are now receiving him and being given the power to become the child of God. You have to receive him. Now, maybe some of you did that a while ago, but you didn't follow through. Maybe it was on rock, upon rocky soil and when persecutions and troubles came because of this, the word of God, you bailed out. Maybe it was weedy soil, the cares and the worries of this life and the desire for riches choked out the word and you didn't follow through. And today you say, I want to follow through. I'm ready to count the cost. I'm ready to surrender it all. I'm ready to lay my life down and live for him. And that's you here today that I'm going to ask you to do something simple right where you are. Just raise your hand. You're saying, I want to invite Christ into my life and I want to live for him. Lift your hand up now. Lift it up high. I want to go around the room. I want to acknowledge your hand. And then I want to pray with you. I'm not going to go on and on. You want to give your life to Christ. Then lift your hand now. God bless you. Anybody else? All right. You can put your hand down. And I would like everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life. And I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Amen. We are um, so blessed to see God moving in such a powerful way um, during this crisis in, in the United States, in the world today. God is moving and there are many, many people where, you know, not only are many people getting saved in our church, but there are many people getting saved all around the world. And um, I rejoice that God meets us in struggles and difficult times and works in our life. I believe God's working in yours. And I believe God's working in mine. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.